The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So over the last many weeks, actually, I looked recently and um, I started almost a year and three months ago in this class exploring the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path and um, decided to do a kind of an in-depth exploration of those teachings because it is said that the, all of the Buddha's teachings can be found or fit within some aspect of the Four Noble Truths and the Eightfold Path. And so I've been exploring that in-depth, just really kind of lingering with each topic until it feels like, okay, we can move on from that one. And so um, I think I've given 34 talks or something <laughs> on, these, uh, on these topics so far. And um, in the last few weeks, we've been exploring right effort, wise effort, which is an aspect of the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is a, it's basically, we could say, the set of tools that the Buddha offers us to explore um, his... His recognition or his understanding that it's possible to free ourselves from greed, aversion, delusion, to free ourselves from the way in which we struggle and suffer. And that understanding of freeing ourselves from struggle and suffering isn't about making a perfect world, but more about having a mind that is not continually in reactivity with what is happening in the world. And so this, uh, the path the Eightfold Path is a set of tools and understandings that help us to look at the ways in which we are in reaction and to support us to come into a, a different relationship to the world. Rather than being one of reactivity out of aversion and anger and hatred and gr- uh, greed and pride and confusion and arrogance, all these various uh, ways in which we have uh, habitually kind of engaged, learned how to engage. It's not, it's, not, it's not that, you know, we do this all by ourselves. Our, our cultures, our communities, our families kind of have been doing this for a long time. And so we kind of absorb it by osmosis. We, we take in how people, other people respond to the world and we learn to do the same. And so, um, and it's not to say that that's all we've learned by any means, uh, but the, the, but there's a big piece of that. And when we do suffer, those are, those kinds of mind states um, are, are, are kind of the root of why we are struggling, why we are, are suffering and experiencing distress. There is, there are things happening in the world about which, um, in ways we, in a way we could say it makes sense to be distressed you know, there's, there's all kinds of hostility and anger and um, divisions happening that it seems very natural to be distressed around. And so this, um, this kind of uh, teaching around it's possible to not be distressed can feel a little bit odd or it's not, it's not obvious in, in some ways. It doesn't feel intuitive that that would be a good thing to not be distressed by what's happening in the world. And yet the, um, the, the 
and that's partly, I think, because we have been so motivated by that distress and those kind of mind states that we can't see another way to respond. We can't. It's like our, our mind... And, and, and we've almost been taught that if we're not distressed, that it means we don't care, perhaps. That, that might be something that we have absorbed with osmosis, with our, uh, you know, our conditioning from our families, from our culture, from our, uh, the ways that we've engaged. That if we are not distressed by what's happening, then it means we don't care. And so that's something that, um, you know, the, the teachings of the Buddha point to a kind of an undercurrent of caring, of, of love, of compassion, of wisdom that can manifest without distress, that can come up and, and resonate with what's happening in the world. And so an alternative um, response to the kind of confusion and division that's happening in the world, the, the uh, the massive messiness out there is compassion. And that's a very different response. And when the heart feels compassion, there's a kind of a, you know, it's kind of a quivering feeling in the heart. It's, it, it understands, the heart understands that there is suffering out there. It's not denying the suffering. And yet the heart does not feel constricted or tight or um, resistant to that. In fact, it's more as it resonates with that kind of suffering with compassion. There's a movement to want to act. There's a movement to want to engage. And so uh, it's, in, it, and again, it's, it's not intuitive that that place from compassion would not be a distressful one. But when the heart is really settled and balanced with some very wholesome qualities, equanimity, love, compassion, patience, kindness, there's not the distressed feeling in the heart, but there is the urge to act. There is the urge to engage, to try to change the conditions of the world, even understanding the massively challenging nature of that. But it doesn't come with anger and hatred. Instead, it comes with really beautiful, wholesome qualities of heart and mind. And so what right effort is, so the whole of the Eightfold Path is essentially helping us to understand the distinction between a mind that has this distress that's, that's kind of... Um, responding or reacting out of greed, aversion, delusion, confusion, and the heart that's responding out of wisdom and compassion and kindness and patience and generosity and love and care to begin to distinguish between the mind that is constricted, tight, fearful, angry, and the mind that is open, responsive, and resonant. And we know this difference. It's not actually that hard to know the difference when we begin to feel it. And so this is a real key in what the Buddha offered, is this understanding. In fact, the very beginning of the Eightfold Path is, is, is wise understanding. That, and one way of looking at that teaching, there are many ways of looking at that teaching, um, but one way of looking at that teaching is this understanding of what is it that constricts the heart 
And what is it that opens the heart? What helps the heart to be more responsive rather than reactive? What is that reactivity? How does it feel so that we can know it and understand it? Not to repress it, not to try to push it away, but the, 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 the transformation that happens through the mindfulness practice really comes from being willing to look in our own minds and be completely honest and see, yeah, that's in here too. That anger, that aversion, that hatred, that divisiveness, that's in here. And not to try to repress it, but to open to it, to be curious about it. And that curiosity, that being mindful of it, has a transformative effect on it. It helps the mind to understand, first of all, that it is painful, internally painful. And that's actually sometimes a a little bit of a wake-up call for us. I think I mentioned this um, the last time um, when I began exploring some of my difficult patterns and habits of mind. Anger was a big one for me. Um, it, It took me by surprise. It was a little bit of a shock when I recognized how painful it was internally, how much it hurt here. Because my mind had been so focused on the person I was angry with, the thing I was angry with, it wasn't really noticing the effect that anger had internally. And so that's one side of beginning to understand. And, and as, uh, as the mind begins to understand that these qualities of mind, these um, what are sometimes called the unskillful or unwholesome states of mind that are based in greed, aversion, delusion, these reactive states of mind. As the mind begins to understand those are painful, the mind begins to find its way to navigate letting go of that because there is a way that our system, our human system, wants to be happy, wants to move towards well-being. It has just really fundamentally misunderstood how to do that. And, and the, this again, because we've been, we've been you know, conditioned that following through on anger is going to somehow get me what I want. And we're, we're kind of based out of this immediacy of I need to get what I want, get rid of what I don't want. We think that is where and how our happiness will come. And so the... The, um, the, the first recognition, one of the early recognitions I had around that anger was, wow, this hurts. And that is actually understanding. That supports the mind to begin the process of transformation. And so this is the, what we could say is the, this understanding of what's unskillful and what's skillful. These other qualities of mind, these wholesome qualities of mind. Of, I've named several of them. <coughs> Compassion, kindness, wisdom, uh, joy. Um, um, there's, there's a whole bunch of those, and I'll kind of go through those in a moment. Um, and what is not helpful? So understanding that difference. And then, um, so that's kind of the beginning of the Eightfold Path, and throughout the Eightfold Path, we're kind of beginning to cultivate understanding that difference internally. We're, we're cultivating, engaging with the world, cultivating, engaging with our uh, communities in ways that are more skillful. That's the section of the Eightfold Path that is the ethics section. And then we look into our minds, this 
third section of the Eightfold Path that includes wise effort. We look into our own minds and have to be really honest with ourselves that, that these patterns and habits are there. It's, it's human that they're there. It's natural in, in many ways. It's normal that they're there. And yet when we start to see, when our, when our heart starts to see the pain that they cause us and the pain that they cause the world, because <coughs> the pain that results from... <coughs> the pain that results from our inner uh, mind states ripples out into the world because we act out of them, because they tend to be contagious. You know, when, when we, and we see this. We see when somebody comes at us with anger and divisiveness, we tend to respond in kind. And so it takes courage and it takes awareness to not just simply follow that habitual respond in kind. And so this is a part of what we explore. We explore internally, looking at our, at our mind states, looking at what's here, what's unhelpful, what's helpful. And um, the first part of the uh, aspect of wise effort is looking at the unhelpful side, beginning to get familiar with that. And that's what I talked about a lot last, last time. So today I'm gonna look at, we're going to look at the other side. What about cultivating these wholesome qualities? So, you know, a lot of our practice, a lot of our meditation practice does end up seeming to be about noticing the anger, the frustration, the irritation, the annoyance, the distress, the greed, the wanting, the confusion. And yet that's not all that's happening. And so this other section, the other side of the uh, uh, wise effort is looking at cultivating these wholesome qualities, cultivating these qualities that support us to move towards this open heart, to move towards this uh, responsiveness instead of reactiveness, to begin to understand that distress is not necessary in order to be uh, a caring, loving, kind, generous citizen, in order to um, have peace and ease in our experience. And even those words, peace is another one of these wholesome qualities. You know, peace is a beautiful quality of mind. The way we tend to um, define that in our minds, the way we tend to relate to that word is something along the lines of, well, if I'm peaceful, it means I'm not doing anything. Kind of. You know, that's, that's kind of the way I interpreted it. It's like, well, peace means you're just kind of sitting you know, sitting with nothing to do and you feel pretty good about that. That's not the peace of Buddhism. That's not the peace of what uh, this practice leads to. This peace is a peace that can, is, it's kind of a peace of recognizing this is the way it is. It's a peace of knowing this is the truth. This is the truth of what's here. And there's not a constriction around that truth. And yet there is when that truth includes the understanding or the recognition of there are being suffering. That peace doesn't just simply sit back and say, oh, well, there are being suffering. It wants to act to alleviate, to, to support others to not be struggling. 
So these um, these wholesome qualities of mind, the, the two efforts, the two right efforts around these two are to cultivate wholesome states that are not currently happening and to maintain or to support those that are here. Um, and so these are... These are um, kind of the flip side of the the looking at the unwholesome states where we in the uh, looking at the unwholesome states we look at letting go of those unwholesome states that have arisen and we look at um, um, avoiding or finding ways to not be uh, pulled into unwholesome states that are not yet arising and so we, t- we talked about that last time so with the um, the wholesome states, it's it's helpful to kind of get a sense, and I've talked quite a bit already about what these wholesome states are, but um, I'd like to just name a whole bunch of them. Because sometimes just hearing them helps us to recognize them. And this is one of the ways in which they're cultivated as um, the... Four right efforts mentioned being, you know, maintaining wholesome states that have arisen is one of the ways to support them, to um, to kind of encourage them. And one of the ways to support that is to become familiar with what those wholesome states are. You know, sometimes we have we do have wholesome states arising, and we don't consciously notice. Oh, yeah, patience is arising right now. Or friendliness is arising right now. We don't, we don't actually consciously recognize that. And that is one of the tools to support them in this maintaining wholesome states that have arisen. And so just beginning to recognize them is helpful. And so I'm just going to name a whole bunch of them. And I'm going to do this by uh, reflecting on some of the lists that the Buddhist teachings have to offer um, and I think that the lists are they 're very common in the Buddhist, Buddhist teachings, um, and probably because the teachings were rooted in an oral tradition, and the oral tradition you know the, the, one of the ways to support an oral tradition is to create lists. So the first list of wholesome qualities is the the four um, they 're called the Brahma Viharas. Uh, that's translated as divine abodes. These are, um, we could call these the four heart qualities that are kind of the natural response of the heart as it lets go of the unskillful qualities, as it lets go of reacting from greed, aversion, and delusion. Very naturally, these qualities begin to arise. And these four are Love, loving kindness, connectedness basically, a resonance with others, not only to others but also for ourselves. So this kindness is, is um, uh, it's, it's not, um, it, it's, it's unconditional and it is um, not exclusive to, I mean, sometimes when we think of offering kindness, we think of offering kindness to others, but it's also about offering it to ourselves. So it is, it is equally, all four of these are equally um, apl- applicable or applied to or important to uh, cultivate with respect to our own hearts and minds, as well as to others. 
And so this first one is, is love, is, compassion, is kindness. And the second is compassion. And we could say that the first quality of that connectedness of metta, that's the Pali word that this is, is referring to, that first quality of metta is really just this open-heartedness and willingness to resonate and connect with our fellow human beings and with ourselves. And then the, uh, the next two, a compassion and joy, we could say are different flavors of that quality of connection. And that when what is happening in the, the field in which we're connected, when what is happening there is somebody struggling, whether ourselves or others, then the response of that heart that has that connected quality is compassion. The response of that heart is not anger, aversion, frustration, hostility, confusion, but rather it is compassion. And then when in that field of connectedness the, um, there's something beautiful or lovely happening, the response is kind of a resonance with that, a joy, a sympathetic resonance of, of joy. And so that's another wholesome quality. So, so these, um, these three of these four Brahma-viharas are kind of the emotional terrain of the heart that is no longer um, resistant or fighting with things as they are. And then the fourth of the the Brahma-viharas is equanimity, is the mind that can be balanced around the fact that there are these joys and sorrows, there is suffering, there is joy, that the, the heart and mind that can hold both without that reactivity. And so these four are beautiful qualities of mind. And so the, 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 the kindness, the care, the uh, compassion, the joy, and the balance of mind. We could call these, and I think Gil has, has used this language, that is kind of the emotional map of the heart that is no longer struggling. So it's, a, it's not, again, it's not that the heart is just kind of like, oh yeah, nothing to do. It's, it's very active as it begins to let go of these unskillful qualities. And these skillful qualities are very much more naturally um, available, I would say. They're na- more naturally available as those uh, unskillful qualities begin to diminish. But at least in my experience, it does take a kind of an orientation or turning towards a recognizing that they're there or a willingness to explore that connectedness. It's not always just as these things fall away that those things naturally are are, are visible to us. It's almost like we have to turn and, and become familiar with what it's like to live in this new emotional reality. So those are four of the qualities. And then I'm, I'm, I'm going to just name some of the others. Another list is a list of, um, of we could call them skills or, or qualities of mind that support our practice. And, and there's, there's resonance or there's overlap in these lists, so there's n- they're not all separate. Um, so the, the next one is, um, it's called the five faculties, the five faculties that support our practice. And they are a confidence that we can do it, um, a kind of a faith. That's the, uh, often the translation of that word, a kind of trust is another word that I like. Um, 
a, uh, an energy uh, connected with that trust that motivates us to practice. Um, mindfulness is a really wonderful quality that helps us to see what's wholesome and what's unwholesome. Concentration, the mind that settles and stabilizes um, to be able to meet what's here. And then wisdom, this, under- this mind that does understand this difference between what's wholesome and unwholesome. And then another list is um, of some beautiful qualities is the seven factors of awakening. And these are qualities that begin to um, grow. Again, very naturally they begin to grow as we practice, as we investigate, not only investigate our um, difficulties, but begin to explore the wholesome qualities. And these um, begin with... Um, Mindfulness, again, mindfulness is a very important quality to cultivate. Um, Interest is the next one. Curiosity, investigation, using that mindfulness to look at without like judgment, but just like, oh, this is what's happening. What's that like? So that curiosity is a support for... um, like for me, that curiosity about, oh, well, there's anger here. What's that like? Wow, that hurts. You know, that's a kind of a curiosity and investigation and a willingness to notice what's here. So a mindfulness, investigation, energy comes back into this list. Um, this kind of engagement or willingness to apply our effort and, and energy in the direction of, of cultivating what's helpful. And then... Um, The next one is joy. Maybe that seems a little bit uh, odd here, but what does happen as we begin to um, be curious about our experience and apply our our, uh, mindfulness in this direction to be curious about what's unwholesome, what's wholesome, our minds begin to delight in the recognition that we can see this. And that there's the other piece of the delight for me is the recognition or the, the kind of deep gut feeling. Yes, this is the direction that will lead to a deeper kind of ease and peace and happiness. And so that, that kind of joy comes as we engage with the practice. And so joy, and then and then the mind kind of settles a little bit. It it um, it settles from joy into a kind of a more happiness, a, a deeper kind of happiness, and then uh, concentration again, and then equanimity. And so these these qualities, you know, and and over the next weeks, I'm going to be we're going to be exploring some of these qualities in more a detail because it feels to me like this is a really important area to explore, to, to help us all get familiar with, with these qualities. And each one, you know, we can explore in depth. You know, patience, for instance. For me, there's a whole period of time when I, I looked at patience and impatience and explored when was patience there, when was it not there. And so that we can really kind of dive into each one of these. And, and I'd like to take some time to do that for the next few weeks as an aspect of this wise effort, cultivating what's wholesome, getting familiar with each of these various qualities. <clears throat> There's more um, lists. Um, another, another list is um, 
called the uh, the perfections, and this is said to be the list of qualities that the Buddha perfected in the many lifetimes that led up to his uh, birth as the Buddha. And um, this is actually a beautiful list to reflect on with respect to our daily lives. This is, in fact, in the in the um, uh, the Asian uh, cultures in Thailand and Burma, in particular. Um, when uh, um, a layperson comes to the monastery to talk to their teacher, often the teacher will check in with them about, and how are your your perfection practices going? How, you know, the term here is paramis. The the Pali term is paramis. How are your how's your paramis practice? Because these are these are qualities that we can develop and engage with not only in our meditation but also in our daily lives, and so this includes. Um, generosity, ethics, um, energy, I'm not sure if I'll remember all of these, Um, renunciation, a a kind of a letting go of our ordinary way of being in the world, Um, um, wisdom, energy, patience, um, truthfulness, loving kindness, and equanimity. And so there's a whole host of of beautiful qualities that we can start to get familiar with. And so in terms of cultivating, you know, so one of the ways, as the four right efforts mention, is um, you know, familiarity with these states will help us to recognize them when they happen. And, um, and that supports their cultivation. And then there's, so that's one of them, cultivating the wholesome states that have already arisen. And the main way to do that is mindfulness, awareness of them. And that's actually a big part of what I'll talk about le- next week is, is just in more depth how to become aware of these wholesome states. And then today I'd like to explore a little bit more about how do we cultivate wholesome states that are not yet here. So... <clears throat> um, Partly, again, it's like recognizing uh, what are the wholesome states and then inclining towards perhaps curiosity about them. So one way to, to explore this, there's kind of two basic ways, um, um, or three we could say. Um, so there's um, you know, finding, or if you're interested in cultivating a particular wholesome quality. So for me, I, I noticed through looking at my mind, impatience was big. It was really a lot of what, I mean, at some point I, I decided, okay, I'm going to take a kind of inventory of impatience. And this is one way to begin the cultivation of a wholesome quality, is to look at what's its opposite. Kind of be curious about its opposite. Because as the first half of the wise effort points to, as we get familiar with the unwholesome, it kind of transforms. And so one really helpful way to begin to cultivate the wholesome is to look at its opposite. So that was my first thing, is take inventory of impatience. And I knew that I was impatient in the bigger areas of my life. You know, that that became pretty clear pretty quickly as I began looking at my mind. And and I saw a lot of this in, like in retreat at one point, (coughs) um, at the end of a a three-month course, the first time I sat the three-month course, 
the last two weeks of that retreat, I was like, just get me out of here. <laughs> I know that this is going to end, and I don't want to have to go through the process. I just want to be done with it. And I could see how much impatience there was there. And, and I, I knew that this was a, a kind of a very conditioned uh, part of my mind. And so at some point I decided to start looking at impatience because it started popping up more. I started noticing it more. And I noticed it's like, it was like this thread through my day. It's like I was impatient when I was brushing my teeth. You know, it's like, you know, what am I, it's like just impatient to be done with this. It's like, this is, you know, this is like not worth my time. It's like, well, look again. (laughs) But that was what the mind was doing. You know, it had this impatient quality. It's like, I've got better things to do than this. It's like, maybe not. (laughs) So, so, you know, I began taking inventory and it was like, it was so pervasive in my mind. So that was informative that I began seeing the kind of like little pop-ups of impatience here and there. And then um, a way to cultivate patience is as you see the impatience or as you see, you know, whatever quality, this, this, this applies to any of these wholesome, unwholesome pairs, actually. Um, one way to cultivate the wholesome um, is, is kind of like, and this is a fun, it's a daily life kind of tool for me. It's a kind of a fun way to play with these qualities. Is like when you notice one of these pop up, especially when it's like one of the little ones, you know, like not one of the big ones, like, you know, the impatience around wanting this thing to be done with, this, uh, this retreat to be done with. But, you know, just the impatience around uh, brushing my teeth or, you know, I was in, it was in um, the grocery store, not the grocery store, I was in a drugstore one day and I noticed the impatience popping up. And I, be- I became aware that that impatience was manifesting not only in my mind, but also in how I was moving physically. And this, this happens, actually. This is an important thing to recognize about these unwholesome qualities. They influence our behavior. And it wasn't influencing my behavior in the sense of pushing people aside, but what it was doing was like I was picking things off the shelf and throwing them in my basket. It's like there was just a gesture of impatience in how I was putting things in my basket. And so what I decided to do was to play with noticing that impatience acting as if I had all the time in the world and that I was very patient. And so I shifted my behavior. I had noticed how that impatience was manifesting physically. And it can be on the face too. This is another place to explore. Maybe softening the face. You know, it's like, okay. And the way that I like to express this particular practice is like, okay, you know that some particular unhelpful quality of mind is arising. See if you can explore not repressing that state of mind because that will will have its own repercussions and rebound effect. So fully knowing, honestly knowing, yep, impatience is happening right now or frustration or whatever it is. Fully knowing that's happening and behaving as though the opposite quality is there. It's almost like not allowing that unhelpful quality to leak out 
in any form of behavior. Not on the face, not in the gestures, not in how you're walking, not even in how you're breathing. You know, just play with it, almost as if you were an actor, you know, modeling patience, but not trying to to artificially create the patience inside and not repressing the impatience or what again whatever this applies to any any of these um, qualities what I noticed as I did that that day and this gave me the sense especially for these little ones you know and the little ones are important because if we you know it's like yeah it's not hurting anybody other than my own mind to be like impatiently throwing things into my basket and yet what that does is it reinforces that pattern and that pattern reinforced tends to um, um, make the mind more inclined to believe that acting on that pattern is actually going to do something for me and so it it creates the conditions for an escalation of that and so when we can notice the these these um, unhelpful qualities in the small and see if we can <clears throat> do this kind of modeling the opposite physically modeling the opposite um, <clears throat> it helps it helps the mind to not kind of reinforce that pattern and so what i noticed in this case was that when i shifted it's like i noticed yep wow, there's impatience here. And um, I'm going to just like take time putting my things in the basket. See if I can soften my muscles, soften my gestures. I don't think it was more than a minute before the mind had changed. Before the mind had patience in it. And so again, in the small cases, we, we can see how this transformation can work that uh, modeling of the patience without repressing the impatience, it's almost like the gears on the impatience got disengaged. And modeling something else, you know, allowed that kind of pattern to just unwind. Not to be repressed, but just to release, to let go. And then the mind felt at ease, the mind felt calm, the mind felt patient. And so that's one really helpful tool for um, playing with cultivating the wholesome. It takes not denying that the unwholesome is there, but exploring modeling. What would it be? You know, and this, we might have a sense of not necessarily trusting this because, you know, we have this kind of value for, um, well, if this is what I'm feeling, that's how I should be acting or something, you know. Um, and if I'm acting in some other way, that's dissembling or that's lying in some way. But that's where the internal recognition of, no, that impatience is there. And what I'm doing is cultivating something else. I'm cultivating this more wholesome quality at the same time. And that kind of willingness to do that has a, has a kind of a rebound effect on the mind that does begin to cultivate it. <coughs> So um, in my daily life, I have played with a number of different kinds of tools or approaches for cultivating 
wholesome qualities. And what I like to encourage people is to kind of get creative about what that might mean. What does it mean to model generosity? Or what does it mean to model uh, patience? Or what does it mean to model kindness? And so, you know, in daily life, for yourself, exploring that. Be creative about it. You can make up your own practices around this. And so this, this is, you know, practicing to cultivate that wholesome quality that's not there. That's this part of the, the practice. Um, and then another way to begin to cultivate these wholesome qualities is to use our capacity to reflect, to think about things. Um, and maybe I'll just offer this briefly right now and come back to this tool for a whole talk at some point. I've, I've done it as a whole talk before, um, and I think it's worth revisiting at this, at this point uh, in the Eightfold Path as a tool. Um, because often in our, in our practice here, uh, we emphasize meditation being the nonverbal, receptive, kind of in the moment, knowing what's happening, and we are letting go of thoughts. Um, but there is a place for using thought in our practice. And this, um, this tool or this technique does that. It's a way of exploring um, what these wholesome qualities of mind are through our reflective capacity. And so, but it joins it with our, um, our meditative practice. So I call, we can call this a reflective practice. So we bring in some particular thought or concept and this is a very generally applicable tool. Um, it could be used um, to reflect on a decision that we have to make, or it can be used to reflect on the value of a certain quality of mind. So there are many, many different ways, or, or to reflect on what do I know about something. Um, and so um, the, the first piece is to you know, allow yourself to settle in some nonverbal kind of meditation. Let yourself quiet because this form of reflection where we're bringing actively bringing thoughts in is supported by a settledness of mind and so we let ourselves settle first and then we have some kind of a question or something that we um, are interested in engaging with and after we've settled a little bit it's like we drop that question in we drop that question into our meditation and then it's this interesting dance at that point. The reflective practice at that point isn't just thinking about it in our normal way. It's not just letting the mind start to, you know, come up with all kinds of ideas and and thoughts about it. What we do instead is kind of like, um, I use this image of if there's a still pond and you drop a pebble into it, there will be ripples from that pebble. And it's natural that there are ripples. It's like, that's the, that's the consequences of dropping a pebble into the pond. And so it's like with the initial settling of our minds and a little bit of meditation, the question or the, the thought of reflection is like dropping a pebble into our meditation. And there will be ripples. It's natural. We don't want to repress these ripples. We want to notice these ripples. We want to see what the effect of dropping this question into our still mind is. 
And so the, 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 the question in the terms of cultivating, <coughs> cultivating um, these qualities, it might just simply be, well, let's try it right now. Um, just, this is the smallest little taste of it. Um, so let yourself kind of settle a little bit. Just notice the hearing, notice the body. And I'm going to drop something in for you. You know, I mean, you don't have to think about something in advance. Just, just let yourself be here. Maybe connect with a breath or two. And now I'm going to drop in a word. And all I want you to do is just notice what happens as this word comes in. So letting yourself be settled and still. And as I drop in the word, patience. What happens? Just relax. There may be some thoughts, there may be body sensations, there may be more vague sense. Patience. How does that word land? If there are thoughts, it's fine to kind of take note of them, but not follow them. Patience. So just by a show of hands, did any of you notice a shift of any kind with that word? Okay. Um, that's, uh, that's just a taste of how, you know, basically words are pretty powerful. And so as we kind of settle our mind and drop a word in, we, we get a sense of how impactful words are for us and that we can use them. Um, you know, sometimes they evoke the opposite quality. That's interesting and useful to notice. But sometimes it, and I'm curious how many of you, for how many of you did it feel like it evoked the quality of patience, even just a little bit? A few of you, yeah. Um, how many of you it felt like it evoked the opposite quality? <laughs> yeah, and that's natural. That's normal too. And so it's like, okay, there's something to know there. You know that that this is not about a right answer. This is about what your experience is. And so the the um, you know, and there's many ways to explore this. So that's just a kind of a what's my relationship with patients in a in a still place? That's what that question is. It's like orienting around that word, what happens as I drop that in? The, a question could be more directed, like something like, how would patients support me in a particular situation? You know, envision the situation. And then, how would patients support me here? 
And again, there might be some thoughts that come up around that, and there might be some body sensations. And so this is a this is a practice of um, kind of curiosity about these wholesome qualities and how they might be supportive, how they might be experienced. But it's a it's a way in. Um, that can be done in a place and a time that's less dynamic in like like in terms of like you might have that question for yourself in the midst of a situation in which you're impatient when you're having a conversation with somebody but often we don't have the bandwidth to do it at that place or time and so you can later in the day when you do have some time okay how might one as one of the wholesome how might generosity have supported me there how might um, kindness have supported me there? So, you know, just a, just a kind of a, a way to use our, uh, not entirely our thinking mind, but this kind of boundary where our thinking mind and our meditative mind can interact. Because as we do drop um, things into a meditative mind, there's a very natural ripple effect. And so just kind of notice what arises what's there. When I do this kind of practice, I will often pick a particular theme to do multiple days, you know, for a week or even two weeks. And I'll do this, you know, you don't have to do it for that long. You could do it for, you know, let yourself settle for two or three minutes and maybe just for five minutes sit there with the word or the question. And then afterwards, it's useful, I think, to take some notes. What did you notice? Just, just like what bubbled up? Not what do you think about it, but what actually arose? And be honest with yourself about that. And then, you know, day after day, do the same kind of questions. See what happens. What's different? Different days, different times, different conditions, different things will happen. You'll get different kind of perspectives that your mind has about that. And take some notes at the end. And then I, I say after a week or two, then go back and do a reflective practice reading through your notes. So let your mind settle and then read through the notes with the kind of curiosity about what, what kind of themes are here or what threads or what's, what's, what's been learned by this. So that's another way to support um, cultivating these wholesome qualities is using our capacity to reflect and to reflect on the value of these wholesome qualities. To reflect on the ways in which they might support us to reflect on how they might feel, even. So um, it's time to stop. Sorry, I don't have time for, we don't have time for questions today. Thank you for your attention.